In a stadium rich with tradition, the lights shine the brightest. This is The Camp. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. All right, we're back. The Badgers getting close to the end of spring ball. Just four practices left. We'll be on the field Saturday morning. We've had an opportunity since last time we talked to see three practices. And we'll get into some of our practice observations a little bit later in the show. But, Jesse, I'd like to start with some of the guys we've been able to talk to these last three weeks. I think there's interesting stories at all three positions that we, get to, that we got to talk to in the last week. The offensive line, the outside linebackers, and the tight ends. I know the offensive line, we're, at Wisconsin, we're, we're covering Wisconsin football, so I think that's probably where we should start because there's obviously the major overhaul of Bob Bostad taking over Joe Rudolph and making, I think you could say, uh, significant changes. And not just positionally, but in how he coaches the team and how guys are uh, asked to practice and how guys are responding to him as well. So we got to talk to him last Friday, and he was, I thought he was very open. And I, he, we'll get into position by position here, but I kind of thought that, I want to say he was not happy with the offensive line play the last few years, but it, he, it, he said it and he caught himself, but he said, we need to get back to, and then he caught himself yeah. and, and went somewhere else with it. Yeah, I think that's fair. That That's my biggest takeaway from our interview session with Bob is the change in philosophy in what he's looking for, for his offensive lineman compared to Joe Rudolph. And I'm not going to sit here and say one is better than the other, but I think anybody listening knows that Rudy's big thing was I'm going to play the best five. I'm going to cross train these guys. They're going to get good at, at multiple spots. And we saw the value of that because guys are going to go down happens every year. Look at Tanner Bordellini. The last couple of seasons is a, a classic example of why Rudy coaches the way he does. Here's a guy who started at center in a game as a freshman. And then last season he plays 58 snaps at left guard, 16 snaps at right guard, 229 snaps at right tackle started in the bowl game because of an injury. Um, Bostead's philosophy is, and he was very open about this as well, as you mentioned, first thing he told the guys when he took the job, he said, I'm going to work hard to find the best position for you where you're going to be at your absolute best and try to keep you there. And, and I thought he gave a great example of what this can look like by referencing Kevin Zeitler. When Bob was the O-line coach here from 2008 to 2011, he found a spot for Zeitler at right guard or, or felt like that would be his, his best spot. And that's a guy who went on to be a three-year starter at Wisconsin, first team All-American as a senior. And then in 10 NFL seasons, he's played 152 games at right guard with 151 starts. And Bob used that as an example to say that it's pretty representative of we found a guy the home sooner than later and he got better faster. And that's what he wants to do is get these guys better faster. And I will say, I feel like the players have really embraced what Bob wants to do. That's one of the things that Tanner said. He, he felt like learning multiple positions as he did under Rudy. Well, again, it had value. He said, it felt like you could never really master your craft. And he thought that was frustrating because you could never get really, really good at one position and hone on it and, and hone in on it and make it your specialty. So I think that's clearly the biggest overall philosophical shift. I would agree with that. I think there's also, they're two different guys, Joe Rudolph and Bob Bostad. Yes. They are, uh, do not have the same type of personalities. It's not, not, and this is not a, a knock on Joe Rudolph whatsoever. Very successful in, in the way that he went about coaching guys. And I don't think there's any doubt in, in that, in my opinion. 
I'm sure there's others that have others, other opinions on that matter, but I think he was a very successful coach and he did it one way. Bob Bostad does it a little bit different way. And uh, that includes getting after guys' butts uh, to be clean about it. I mean, they, they get after it and he gets after them and they're practicing more. Uh, and I thought it was interesting. Like they talked uh, when we talked to some of the guys, it was, or uh, maybe it was Bob said, uh, you know, a lot more reps, uh, some people say it's, uh, you know, volume over quality. And he goes, I want to be greedy. I want both. And they've been getting a ton of reps. I mean, this, it's clear the practice is moving much faster, especially in those individual offensive line drills. I think that that's, that's undeniable. And then you look at some of the accountability stuff when a guy jumps up. I mean, for a long time, it was constant. When a guy jumped off sides, he got pulled out and somebody else would go back in. And it felt like the last few years, and again, we haven't seen nearly as much practice as we had the first few years of Paul Chris tenure because of COVID and the like, but there really was no pull him out and, and it was just run the play. That's not how it is this year. It's not just pull the guy out. It's pull the guy out and then remember that because we're going to go down and run some gassers later on. And I can't remember the last time I've seen offensive linemen running gassers after practice. It probably was high school, um, <laughs> to be honest with you. And so it is a different philosophy no doubt about it. And I don't have a problem with it. I, I, I think offensive line of any position in football, the old way of coaching the position and getting after guys is still very, very relevant when it comes to that position. Yeah, it absolutely is. And, and you're right. Multiple guys talked about it. It, it. Logan Brown mentioned that it's just a lot more intense with the quicker pace. And he said that leads to fewer breaks. But the, you know, this is the O-line at Wisconsin. This is the expectation and there's just nobody better to get this group ready than Bostead because of the way he approaches it. And I, it's sort of a situation too. I feel like there's so much depth that it's like you either get on board or you get left behind. Cause if you don't like the way that he's coaching, there's a bunch of guys waiting in the wings here that can be major contributors sooner rather than. So I think it to push the competition. Um, I'm really interested to see what happens when fall camp arrives. And I'm sure we're about to get into where guys have lined up to this point, but given the fact that Joe Tipman has been out with an injury, it's forced Tanner into playing mostly center. Um, and that's not going to be the case when fall camp starts, if Tipman is healthy. So there's the chance. And I believe we'll see a little bit more shuffling just to finalize some roles. Yeah. Just one more thing before we get into that sure. in terms of Bob, again, we haven't gotten to see these guys or talk to these guys in person uh, as much the last few years, but he feels energized. I don't know about oh, you. Yeah. Like I, I feel like he feels energized being back at the spot where he knows what uh, he knew what he was doing at inside linebackers coach. There's no doubt about it. They had a ton of success, but he called this his passion and you can tell he's been energized by it. I, I think, and I think that's has kind of carried over to the team or I'm at, glad, least, at least position. I'm glad you brought that up as well. Cause that, that's a big part of, um, when we talked to Bob as well, when he talked about his passion for the offensive line, because he, he was at Northern Illinois, he comes to Wisconsin. People, people have asked, and he was asked again, what, what led you to come to Wisconsin and coach linebackers? And he said it was stability because Paul Christ was here. Paul Christ asks you and you're at, he's at Wisconsin. You come here. He actually said he took this job over an offensive line coaching job at another big 10 school because he felt there would be more stability at Wisconsin. And ultimately a year later, that other school had coaching changes, so he wouldn't have been there more than a year anyway. But having said that, he also said, and it was something akin to 
like driving a hundred miles an hour. And then all of a sudden you downshift and you're going 50, not that one is better than the other, but I think he feels like he can really crank it up and get after it because this is look, he's entering what his 33rd year as a coach. I think this is 25 plus years where he's been on the offensive line. This is what he knows uh, best. And I also think one of the reasons it's created some energy is because of the differences that they're trying to do offensively. And he talked about it. It's not that he's when when he's involved in, in helping with the run game, he said, it's not that he's tweaking things. He called it wholesale changes. And he feels like, and uh, on the offensive line, you are responsible for understanding and knowing everything linebacker. It's just, it's different. You know, those guys are, are getting people set in the front seven, but you don't necessarily have to be in charge of everything on the O line. It's just much different. So I completely agree with you. And I do think that's worth mentioning is how much more involved he's going to be in all facets of the offense and just him getting back to what he knows best. I said this uh, on a, on a different show earlier this week, but I think he's going to end up and maybe we've, we've talked about it. I think he's going to end up having the biggest impact of all the new position coaches on his team. And I think the offense line is, is going to be better for him being there. And again, not a knock on Joe Rudolph, but I think it's going to be a better group this year. And, and obviously the talent on paper is significant, but you have to put it together. And I, I feel like there have been signs, small as they may be in spring, of it kind of coming together to, to an extent, especially in the run game. Um, some of these inside drills where there were not a ton of room last year, there's been some, there's been some holes and, um, yeah, I think it's one of those things that you've come to expect at Wisconsin, the offensive line being good to very good at times dominant. And, um, I think that their trajectory is back towards the high point. And again, they weren't horrible by any stretch last year. It's just not the dominant unit that people at Wisconsin have come to expect on a, on a year to year basis. Sometimes it's difficult, and I, I freely admit this, and I've talked about this before. Like evaluating offensive line play, uh, unless you played it as a reporter watching from afar, it can be tough. But I think there have been moments. Even I, I think of some red zone. Uh, they, they did a lot of red zone on last Saturday, for example. It just felt like there were stretches where the offense was physically dominant. And again, it can be tough to know how that play would have unfolded because you can't just tee off on guys defensively, but it does seem like they're starting to get back to that fast and physical nature. Um, and a lot of it, I think does have to do with where Bostead has put some of these guys, which will lead to them. I think playing the best football that they have to, to this point, particularly, I think um, on the left side, I think that group uh, can be really good. Yeah, I agree. I look, I think the offensive line in, in large part is, is set. Um, at spot at certain spots, left tackle. Mm -hmm. That's Jack Nelson's, in my opinion. Now, I think things around the rest of the line may impact that. Whether um, and we'll get to that in a second. Actually, no, screw it. We'll get it to it right now because I think it's the biggest question that's that's on the line. And I'll I'll throw a little sold or not sold on you here. Logan Brown will be the, your starting right tackle on opening day, September third. Um, sold or not sold? You know. <sighs> I think I've watched enough practices to feel like um, I will say not sold at this point. Um, there've been a lot of moments where guys are coming off the edge and, and they're, he's getting beat. And uh, granted, I'm not sitting here and taking notes of all the reps where he handles his guy, but it just sort of feels like when I'm taking notes 
and there's a would-be sack, it's someone coming off that, that edge. And, you know, Logan talked about too, he spent his whole life basically as a left tackle. All his high school, he was a left tackle. First couple of years at Wisconsin left tackle. It's been a bit of a shift to flip over to that side. Having said that, um, you know, you've got to figure that out quick enough to lock that down. And I think that there could be some other options. I'm not saying he can't and ultimately, you know, won't win the job, but I think of the five spots right now, that's the one to me that just seems the most in question. Um, and I don't know whether that's I, initially, and I think you and I were in this same camp, but, but I'll just speak for myself. I thought, well, if it's not going to be Logan, then Tanner Bordellini seems like a pretty good option. Started at tackle in the bowl game. Um, obviously played a lot of snaps there, can do a number of different things. But Bostead said that um, he kind of sees Tanner more as an interior guy at, at, that's at guard, assuming again that Joe Tipman is healthy. And if that's the case, then that would mean somebody else could potentially push Logan for, for a tackle spot. I don't know whether that's a Riley Malman. I think Riley uh, has done pretty well in the reps that he's gotten. And he took some of the left tackle reps with the first team unit when Jack Nelson was out with an injury. But I'll just stop at this point and say, I'm not sold right now that it's going to be Logan. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's hard to see right now, but again, it's 11 practices. Yes. And so there's still a lot to go. They did not make these moves at the beginning of winter. They made them at the end of winter and before spring ball, just like it wasn't, these moves were not something that they've been planning um, right from the get-go because, you know, Bob, Bostead had to look through it and go, th you know, go through film and, and decide, you know, kind of what he wanted to do. And he had obviously he had practiced since these guys, you know, being the inside linebackers coach, but it's different being in the middle of it, looking at it and having to break it down. So these, these moves weren't necessarily something that happened immediately. So I think that that probably also needs to be mentioned, but gosh, I think you have to find a place for Tanner Bordellini. Mm -hmm. I guess before we go on, I should probably also add that Joe Rudolph, really, really like Tanner Bordellini and can oh, yeah. play him and play him anywhere. We don't know. Obviously we heard Bob say that, you know, Tanner can do a lot of different things, but we don't know that he thinks he can play all those different spots. We, we know Joe thought he could. We don't know if Bob Bostad thinks he can. And the way you talked about it, you mentioned it, you know, him wanting to kind of keep him inside like that is maybe he does want to keep him inside. And we've seen at times, him working at both guard spots. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we've seen him at left guard. We've seen him at right guard. It's possible he ends up at, at one of those spots instead uh, of moving outside. I don't know which guy. Again, I, I think Tanner's a starter, but it's also possible Bob doesn't view it that way. You know what I mean? Like, it's pretty clearly Joe viewed it that way, but we don't know that Bob Bostad views Tanner Bordellini as good as we, as uh, the previous coach does. But I, I, I feel like Tanner's going to be in the starting lineup somewhere. Whether it could be left guard, you know, maybe maybe it's Tyler Beach is not there, or maybe it's right guard, maybe Michael Fertney's not there. But um, I think that there's a potential move coming in terms whether it's um, Jack Nelson back to the right side or Trey Wedig, you know, who's who's played right tackle, right guard, and left tackle at different parts of spring. Maybe he moves out to the right tackle spot. We saw a little him getting some reps there on uh, on Thursday morning, but it just right now it, it would be tough to see the way that Logan's played to this point, that that is something that they could go into the game with. But again, a lot of time left. Yeah, I'm, I wholeheartedly agree, 100%. And, and as you said, though, you know, they've got four more practices the entire summer and then fall camp. Um, I imagine those first couple of weeks of fall camp are going to be pretty darn competitive until you get to about two weeks out of the opener September 3rd and you lock everything down. Um, but Logan even said, 
when I was talking to him, he feels like this is his job to lose. So he's waited a long time for this chance and, and he's got to figure out how to, how to lock it down. Um, but I think it's been a bit of a struggle to this point, no doubt. Yeah, I will say, I think Riley Mallman has more than held up at left tackle when, when put into places against what is a pretty darn good front for the Wisconsin defense. You know what I mean? Like he has, I thought he's held more than held his own. And it's pretty clear. I think he's going to be a good one. It's just right now he's behind a really good one in, in Jack Nelson, who I think is going to be a really nice left tackle. But even that, if they want to move Jack back to the right side and, and put Riley at left tackle, I think that's a great move too. Uh, yeah. You know, Riley Mallman is going to be a player here. Um, whether it's at left tackle or right tackle, he's going to be a player here. He's going to be a good one, I think. Again, very small window into who he is, but he's got some nasty to him, and I think uh, Bob Bostet likes that for sure. I know some people are wondering about Nolan Rucci, whether he could potentially push, push for time. I think it's maybe still a little bit of ways. He's the essentially the second. He's the backup right tackle, but when Logan Brown's gone out, at various times during spring, it's been Trey Wedig moving into that right tackle role with the first team. So uh, maybe they feel that no one maybe still isn't necessarily ready to get a bunch of snaps yet. He's still working. And he's, I mean, him being on the right side is something that is probably not normal for him either. Right. Um, that's my sense too. But I also think he's got the exact right mindset for this whole situation. And, you know, we had a chance to talk to him in December during bowl prep, and obviously he could have gone anywhere, but he said one of the big reasons he chose Wisconsin, other than the fact that his older brother was here, is that he knew that it would take time to develop and be the best player that he could. So he understands that even though you're a five-star guy, you don't come in right away and start. Um, so I think, again, he's got the right mindset and approach, but it does seem as though it's going to be a little more time given where some of these other guys are at and, and given where Bostead is lining them up in practice, because that's mostly what we have to go on. Yeah, for sure. All right. So the other group got to talk to was the outside linebackers. And then we got to talk to Bobby April, their coach. And he was, I mean, he wasn't patting himself on the back at all, but he said that this is his, this is his group. This is guys that he recruited and he handpicked them. He hand selected them. And he believes this is the deepest group talent wise that they've had. I, I don't disagree. I, it's tough for me to argue when you're talking about top to bottom depth. Bobby's going into his fifth season here, and you can go down the list of the guys that, that he's coached even in that time. Been some pretty good guys. His first year in 2018, Andrew Van Ginkle was injured, still led the team in sacks, becomes an NFL draft pick. 2019, Zach Bond, consensus first team, All-American NFL draft pick. Noel Burks was a three-year starter. And last year, Nick Herbig led all Big Ten underclassmen in sacks. But we're talking about top-end guys. This year, and you and I have talked about it before, there appear to be legitimately five guys who could start if given the right set of circumstances or one guy emerges. Nick Herbig, clearly one of the starters, but I think the other four guys have all had good flashes. CJ Getz, Caden Johnson, Daryl Peterson, TJ Bowlers. They've been getting after it. They've been wreaking havoc in the backfield. Um, and so I think that's what where Bobby is coming from. And he did recruit. Basically, all those guys, CJ Getz was committed before Bobby got here. But the, the rest of those guys, Bobby April's gone hard after them. And look, you can debate ugh, the star recruiting ranking system, all that. But three of the top five guys were four-star prospects out of high school. They, they could have gone any number of schools. Um, top 15 in the country at their respective positions. And the only position group at Wisconsin right now that has more four-star players is the offensive line. So a lot of that has to do with 
with Bobby's ability to get these guys. And I think it's natural that at least one or two years in the program, some of them are starting to emerge. Now, that's much different. Potential is way different from production. So I'm not going to sit here and proclaim them to be the best outside linebacker group we've ever seen. Um, but just in terms of the sheer talent, there's the, the potential for them to be pretty explosive. It is. And I, who is the most intriguing of those five for you? I mean, obviously, we've seen Nick play a ton, seen CJ yeah. Gass play some. Who's the most intriguing for you? To me, it would be Daryl Peterson. Um, my other answer would be TJ Bowlers, but I'm going to go with Peterson. Um, first of all, April thought enough of him to include him in that three outside linebacker package in the bowl game. Um, that wasn't mop up time. That was uh, game is in doubt. It's the first half. We think you're good enough to contribute. And Bobby said afterward that he felt like he said, Daryl checked all the boxes for me after that. Um, I thought he had his best practice of the spring earlier this week. He had a, a couple pressures would be sacks. And the other thing you asked about was Bobby said, he's been playing him at both the boundary side and the field side. He's the only guy in the group that April's been doing that with um, to get him more comfortable, perhaps in space and coverage. But he said also when he goes back over to the boundary side, I mean, it's, uh, it's going to be much simpler and probably easier for him. I think he's fast and physical. And to me, he's the most intriguing because I think he's going to get a lot of reps this season. I think he's going to make a big impact. Yeah. The, the thing with TJ is, and I think I mentioned, I think we mentioned it earlier on that it, he looked trimmed down and mm -hmm. that's exactly what Bobby said. They, they, they talked about with him. He needed to trim up and twitch up or try to, uh, yeah, no, was, was it, uh, it was trimmed down and twitch up. That's what uh, Bobby Trip, April yeah. said about him. Am I getting that quote correctly? Trim up and twitch up for semantics. I don't understand the trim up. It's got to be trimmed down, but yeah, it's um, like, it's like it's all downhill or uphill. It's yeah, it's probably the same thing. Yeah. Either way. Uh, and we've seen that. And, and I, he's, he's so much quicker, so much faster off the ball than he was when we saw him in fall camp last year. It's, I don't, it's not particularly close. And so you're right. I mean, all, all five of these guys, I think potentially could be, and then the one guy that we haven't seen this spring and I guess haven't seen in since uh, December of 2020 is Aaron Witt. And Aaron Witt kind of brings a different body type that they don't necessarily have there. I mean, he's the he's the longest one. I mean, he's six six. He's, but he just can't uh, get on the field. Just kind of one injury after the other. But there's there's hope that he'll be available come fall. I, the depth at this position is just insane. And I, you know, when you hear him say this is the de most depth we've had talent wise, I mean, it's there's no question about it. This is the deepest, most talented group I think on the team. Yep. And we haven't even, uh, I guess I would throw offensive line into that conversation, man, but no, no, no other, there's no, no other group I would. Um, he, and we haven't even really talked that much about Caden Johnson, who was another four-star guy who came in. He's gotten a lot of the first team reps with Herbig uh, out with that arm injury. Herbig's starting to come back and participate a little bit more. Um, but even with him, April said that he's, this is the best body he's ever had. This is the best he's ever played. Um, so everyone is pushing for snaps. I don't know where Witt fits into the mix when he is healthy or if he is healthy right now, he's been on that scooter with his right leg wrapped, but as April has said before that he brings a different dimension and it was starting to come together in that Duke's Mayo bowl. It was like, wow, where, like, where did this guy come from? He had a couple tackles for loss, had a sack, had a forced fumble. And then obviously he missed all of last season with the injury, but you throw him into the mix and that's a good problem to have. And obviously last year, 
April felt like, and understandably so, he was going to play Nick Herbig and Noah Burks as much as possible, sort of like Bostad's philosophy with Leo Chanel and Jack Sanborn. Um, but April said he feels like now the guys have come a lot further from where they've been in the past. So I, it's not going to be a 50-50 split if you've got a starter and the guy coming off is splitting snaps. That's another thing April said. But I do think he'll be more willing to have some of those guys come in. And D- Daryl Peterson said last year it was – Noah, it was Nick. You might not see another guy until the third quarter. Um, I don't think necessarily that's going to be the case. And, and I think that can be beneficial because obviously a lot is asked of those guys. And if you can throw in a, a curveball here and there with somebody else with a different skill set that's effective, it'll make the defense that much better. Yes. And the thing with Caden, uh, we, we talked about Logan and some of the struggles he had. Caden Johnson on a one-on-one pass rushing drill on Thursday just went right through him. Like put him on his butt and uh, on his way to the quarterback. It was one of the more impressive rushes in those. We get to see those one-on-ones every single day and, or every, every practice. And yeah, it was, uh, it was an impressive bull rush and he just, ugh. yeah, not ideal if you're the offense, but really, really nice from, from Caden Johnson. Um, yeah. So I would also say, I would also say we haven't really talked that much about Herbig. I, I feel like, I honestly think he's on the Leo Chanel trajectory. I think he's going to be dominant this year. And maybe, you know, it depends on how well the other linebackers play because he's going to get all the attention. But I think he's in position if he's good enough, he could be an NFL guy after three years. I, I just think he is ready to to break out, but he's going to need some help on the other side, obviously. Yeah, for sure. So the other group we got to talk to was the tight ends and their new position coach, Chris Herring, who uh, obviously had coached special teams. Uh, since 2015 for Wisconsin. He's he's into a new role coaching the tight ends. Uh, someone was asked him if he had talked to anybody about pl- coaching the position because you know it's, it's it's a new one for him. And pretty much every single coach on the staff has coached tight ends apparently at, some, at one point or another. Um, Bobby Engram obviously coached him in the NFL. Paul Chris coached him at Wisconsin. Mickey Turner's uh, still on the staff. I mean, they have, uh, you know, Bob Bostad uh, has, has coached them. So it's like, I mean, it's he, they essentially have five tight end coaches, and we've seen at times this year, Bobby Eng- or in spring, Bobby Engram going over and working with the tight ends. But the biggest story I think coming out of the tight end availability was Clay Cundiff and getting an opportunity to chat with him and about the injury that he sustained against Iowa in uh, I believe it was late October was able to start running this past week, but the injuries that he that he dealt with, it was a dislocated ankle, a broken fibula, and a torn deltoid uh, tendon. And all those injuries, I mean, one of those injuries by itself is, is less than ideal. All three of them together lands you in the ambulance with your leg looking the wrong way and going to the hospital. Yeah, I mean, what he's been through, <laughs> it's been quite a bit, especially the first two months. And he talked about how it took a mental toll on him. Hayden Rucci, who's one of his roommates, said, I don't think I've ever seen somebody respond to an injury like that, how he has. He was essentially bedridden the first month. Uh, maybe he could get to the couch. I had a chance to talk to Clay's mom for a story that I wrote about this as well. She happened to be at that game and spent the first week with him because he just couldn't do anything. She would use his car, go to the grocery store to make him meals. Um, he said once he... so." The injury happened, obviously, on a Saturday. Um, He was in a splint for four days and then underwent the surgery. But once he came out of that, 
he started to do some research. And apparently Dak Prescott, the Cowboys quarterback, he suffered a dislocated ankle and multiple fractures. Um, and then he came back this past season and had a great year and was second in the comeback player of the year voting. And I think that gave Clay a little bit of motivation to see that somebody else could come out of this and play really well. Um, and right now, as you said, this is his first week back running. And he said, I'm totally out of shape, but it feels great when he's healthy. I think he's got a chance to be really special for this tight end group because of his do it all ability. Jack Eschenbach basically called him a Swiss army knife because he's got the type of body where he can be a really good blocker. But I think we've seen, he can be a talented pass catcher. He caught the longest play from scrimmage, uh, that Wisconsin had against Notre Dame. And then he caught a touchdown pass late in the victory against Michigan. So we've seen it in glimpses and they need it because obviously Jake Ferguson's gone. So if he's healthy I, and Chris Herring said it too, he can be an every down tight end. And that that's what I would expect to see from clay when he's healthy. There's not a chance in hell that anybody, if you ask them a question who had the second longest reception for a Wisconsin by a Wisconsin Badger <laughs> last year, there's not a chance in hell. Anybody would have guessed clay Cundiff, right? But it was. It was 43 yards. It was that one against Notre Dame where they caught uh, Notre Dame sleeping. The only one better than that was Danny Davis going for 70, going out from 72 yards against Rutgers. I mean, he's got some of that ability. I would agree. And he also has trimmed down a little bit, too. And has, as he said, this uh, has been training as a wide receiver as opposed to you know, training as a tight end. A lot more quick twitch training than, than uh, he has in the past. So I think those are, I think he can be a help receiving wise. I, I don't know if he's, he's not going to be Jake Ferguson. I mean, Jake Ferguson was so consistent and, you know, was, you could count on him and, you know, Clay Cundiff isn't at that level yet, but there's an opening for a lot of opportunities to catch the ball and whether it's going to be Clay Cundiff or whether it's going to be Jalen Franklin or, you know, Jack Eschenbach or, you know, Hayden Rucci, uh, Hayden Rucci or whoever the heck it is, there's opportunities there. And so I'm going to ask you right now, who is tight end one come September 3rd? Ooh. Um... And again, and again, uh, while you think about that, there's different tight end positions. Uh, yeah. there, are di- there are different roles that each guy could play. But who is who will be their top tight end overall when it comes to September 3rd? Well, part of the tough thing with this is that Cam Large, Eschenbach, and Cundiff aren't practicing this spring. So they're so depleted that Riley Nowakowski, who came in as a fullback, has been playing tight end. A lot of the one reps have gone to Hayden Rucci and Jalen Franklin. Um, I, I think if healthy, I think it's Cundiff. Um, but, I mean, I think there's obviously going to be a lot of multi-tight end sets, and Hayden Rucci's going to get a lot of the snaps, but to me, it's to me, it would be kind of, I think Esh can be, maybe he can be the best pass catcher in the group. I think he can do that very well, but I'm going to go kind of, he's another one, uh, Jack Eschbach that dealt with injury and Hayden Rucci dealt with injury last year and, and missed a bunch of time, um, with a Liz Frank injury. And then Eschbach had a whole, just a ton of injuries. Oh man. And, and it's awful. Yeah. And one that we didn't even know about, he, uh, apparently, Clay Cundiff, not the only person to leave the field in, a, in an ambulance that last year for Wisconsin. Uh, Jack Eschenbach did as well when he he said he tore his quad. I, I probably should have followed up with it a little bit more, but tore his quad and there was bleeding in there. Mm-hmm. And they were so worried about compartment syndrome that they got him in an ambulance and drove him over to the hospital. And uh, luckily, they didn't have to slash it open or anything like that. But 
that's how I mean that that's how big of a concern it was. Yeah. Um, so he had <laughs> he broke his hand in fall camp. Then he had a high ankle sprain against Eastern Michigan. Then he dislocated his shoulder against Michigan, but he had he played through it basically. Uh, and then he had that happen in the bowl game because he didn't play in the Las Vegas bowl, but um, he still got that leg wrapped. The tight end group just can't catch a break, man. He, uh, <laughs> Eschenbach said that they're all the group jokingly is like, oh, we need to have a little spiritual cleanse one night. Uh, there was almost nobody healthy by the end of the season, but he said so far so good. He expects to be, I think, the most important thing from that. He expects to be ready to go by summer conditioning, as does Cundiff. So that's going to be huge for both of those guys to have a couple months before fall camp starts. Because, again, I think both of those guys, when healthy, will be a, a critical part of this tight end group. I think it'll be a little bit more by committee because you don't have an all-Big Ten guy like Ferguson this year. No, you definitely don't. And tight end is one of those positions fall camp that's going to be very, very interesting to watch because who's the rep, where are the reps going, right? Like who are, who are getting the ones who are getting the twos and we'll see that'll obviously give us a better idea of, of how they feel about that group. But I think Clay Cundiff perhaps has the highest upside, but there's also a guy named Jack Pugh who athletically, yeah, I think is another one that is going to be one to watch. They, I mean, they have so many bodies there that just haven't contributed at a high level yet, but I think have a chance to. I'll right. Say that. I mean, Jack has had a couple moments in practices where he makes a really athletic grab. I think there was one from a chase wolf packs, the back of the end zone. You're yep. just kind of like, Whoa, uh, that's where that basketball background comes in. But Jalen Franklin too, he's a yep. fifth year guy. He's now he's been at this position for two seasons. And I think he's ready to make a move. He's got all the athleticism in the world. He's, you know, he's got all the tools and now the opportunity is presenting itself. I think he's done a, a pretty nice job in spring practice, given that he's gotten a lot of the reps um, so I don't know what it looks like with him, but they, they've clearly been high on him for a couple of years. And even back when they made the move, Paul Chris said that he brought something a little bit different to the group. So now it's time for him to show it. Man, another outside linebacker. Um, and, then, <laughs> and Spencer Lytle too. Yeah. That, that group was yeah pretty darn good. Uh, it still is obviously. All right. So let's get into some of our practice observations from sure. the, the past week. Who was your your standout? I mean, yeah, I think there you could go a couple of different ways here, but it felt like that there were some gains in the passing game, but also some some giveaways. Uh, specifically, last Saturday, the turnover started to come a little bit. Uh, it felt like the dam broke a little bit there uh, when it came to the turnovers. They had done such a great job holding on to it. Um, but some of your standouts from the last week. My number one standout, without question, is Skylar Bell, the wide receiver. He is really starting to emerge as a go-to guy. He's consistently been working with the first team group. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of three receiver sets and Skyler has been there pretty consistently. Um, Chimray, what Chimray DK does, it's almost sort of like not a surprise. So maybe it's, it's not fair because we just expect that of him. I think he's been every bit as good as we anticipated, but the question was who else in that group of, with all that talent is going to emerge. And I think Skyler has been that guy last Saturday. He, he was really good. I thought he was one of the standouts of practice on Thursday. Um, and they need, they need something obviously without Danny and Kendrick there, but Keontes Lewis is in that mix too. I think Skyler to me is, is my number one though. He's your number one standout from the last week. Yeah, I, I, know, I think so. Yeah. I know you're also a big fan of Dean Ingram. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think that comes from just not having any idea what it was going to look like. Uh, someone who'd been a cornerback for the last three years hadn't obviously played the position at a wide receiver since high school, but I think he can help them, particularly as a slot guy. Um, he's made some impressive grabs at times. I just think Skyler's going to get a lot more of the reps because I think he's pushing to be a starter. And I don't necessarily see that for Dean, but I also think that Dean, look, as we said before, they're um, not going to move him if he's not going to be a contributor. So maybe this is an easy question then for you, since you just said, you know, he may not, he's not, maybe not get as many opportunities as some of the other guys. Uh, he had 20 tackles last season as a cornerback over under 20 catches for him this season. I'm going to take the under uh, 20 feels high to me simply because I feel like every year we talk about what's <laughs> who could have all these catches in the passing game and it's either spread out or they, they don't throw it as much as you think they will. Now I, for Badgers fans sake, hope they throw it a little more this season and, and, you would think they'd have more success, but I think Dean will have fewer than 20. All right. I, I guess I would agree. It just, the way some of the, the way that, you know, you've talked about him in some of these uh, episodes, I, I felt that there, maybe that you were thinking a little bit higher for him, but that's, that's fine. Well, I, mean, I don't think him maybe, even getting 15 catches is, 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 I mean, I think that's quite an accomplishment. I, I suppose where I was coming from was just having no idea of what to expect. And I think he's pretty clearly in that top, five receiver mix. Uh, it's yeah. just a matter of where does Alvis Witted see that he can be utilized because you've obviously got Chimre, Keontes, Marcus Allen, and Skylar Bell. So he had, so he had 15 unassisted tackles. He had 20 total. So maybe if I, if I had put the 15 there, maybe you would have taken the over or were you still taking the under there? I suppose I'll go. If you give me 14 and a half, I'll take the over. Okay. All right. So, all right. So between 15 and 20 then for him. So he, obviously he has stood out. I know that there was a little bit made of the quarterback's performance on Thursday <laughs> by some. There were some missed throws, no doubt about it. Yep. Uh, Graham Mertz uh, uh, sailed the ball a couple of times. But how would you judge him overall this week? I thought that there was a lot of good, and I thought that there was also some uh, obviously not so great. Well, inconsistency, I suppose. But I also, look, I don't want to be one of these people that looks at a, a one Thursday practice in April that, isn't his best and say like, this is who Graham's going to be. Ah, the offense, the passing game isn't any better. I think there've been some really great moments from him where, and we've seen this before where he puts a ball out there and someone makes a catch and it's like, that's why he's Graham. And, and that's, but it's the fact that you expect that more. Um, Yeah. Thursday, he had an off day. There were a number of overthrows. There were a couple of interceptions. Sometimes it's tough to know what the plan on a play was. I mean, clearly some of those, they, they weren't, even all that close, but there's other times where it looks like, is there a miscommunication? Well, is that on the quarterback? It kind of looks like it's probably on the receiver. There's two receivers in the same area. They're all trying to learn this new offense. So I don't want to jump the gun here and make some bold proclamation about Thursday, but certainly it's shoring up consistency. That's been an issue the last couple of years, but I do think that he's made some strides and there's been an awful lot of good this spring. Yeah. What do you think about Chase's performance? Chase Wolf. Yeah. Well, I think he continues to show that he's a capable backup for Wisconsin. I mean, he's got certain tools that nobody else on the roster has. That's nothing new. He's got the mobility. When a play breaks down, he can make something out of nothing. 
He's got the ability to drop into different arm angles. And there are times when he faces pressure and he does that. And that's another aspect that nobody else can do. I remember a, a particular completion. It was like a, a slant over the middle or something. Someone was coming after him. And the only reason he was able to complete it was because of that. But it's much like we're talking about Graham. It's that level of consistency. It's not trying to hit the home run pass and, and make a turnover. Because if you're going to be out there as a quarterback, they got to be able to trust that you're going to take care of the football. So I don't want, this is going to hurt to admit because I have seen people just talk about Deacon Hill's arm and Mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, it's just insane. And like, it's remarkable and like all that stuff. And I'm just like, yeah, okay. But he's got to do other stuff, right? Like he's got to be able to do these other things to be able to get on the field. And yet, and I said, this is going to be tough for me to admit. I've fallen in love with Deacon, Deacon Hill's arm strength. Oh, Um, you have. Oh, do tell the dude can, the dude can make every throw. And every time the ball comes off his hands, you're just you're waiting to see what it's going to look like because it does. Sometimes it's going to go where it needs to go. Sometimes it's not. But I thought on Thursday, a lot of the passes he threw are throws that I'm not sure there's other guys in this roster can make. And so he, uh, I have I have uh, succumbed to the peer pressure of Deacon Hill's arm strength, and I'm continue to be impressed and I just can't wait to see where that ball is going when it comes off his hand because it comes off and it 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 comes off quick and uh again sometimes it's it makes guys go run for cover on the sideline which he did on Saturday where he uh he threw one way too high and it hit off the side and I think it may have put a dent in the wall but then there's other ones where it's the ball's right where it needs to be and it put it right on a guy right in stride and it's again I think he is going to be he's going to be their quarterback at some point, it's not going to be this year, but it's going to be at some point in his career. He is going to be the starting quarterback, of Wisconsin. I'm going to put that out there. Just throw it out there. You are intoxicated by the arm talent. That's I am. What you're saying I'm drunk. I'm drunk on the arm talent. I am, um, <laughs> I am wasted on the arm talent. I am Saturday night, two o'clock in the morning, wasted on the arm talent. I wrote about this in my practice practice observations from last weekend. So this was going back to the practice last Saturday, but it was sort of a typical example of what Deacon has been like this spring. There was, he, he had Skylar bell on, on the sideline and he overthrew him. And it may have been the throw that you said left a dent somewhere. Yes. Um, yes. Two plays later, he rolls to his left and hits Skylar with a perfect pass in the same location um, or in the same area of the field. And then there's another time in the same practice where he rolls to his right completes a really nice pass to, to Alex uh, Moeller and then rolls to his right and overthrows a con Anderson. So it's kind of what we're talking about with these other quarterbacks in terms of consistency, but with him, it's sort of like all or nothing. Uh, and it feels like every ball is coming out. It's a hundred mile an hour fastball. There's yes. one play distinctly sticks in my mind. It was like a dump off to Braylon Allen. And it <laughs> felt like he threw it 140 miles an hour and, and it went through Braylon's hands because he's five feet away. Um, so all the arm talent in the world has really special qualities, but it's about harnessing that and doing all the other things that can make you a starter at Wisconsin. And this is, again, he's not even a year into the program. I think that's the other thing to remember where a lot of these other quarterbacks come in and participate in spring practice. Miles Burkett is one of them. Graham Mertz, obviously, you know, Deacon didn't have that opportunity to do that. He was going to do it initially, but then in California, they pushed back the high school season. He wanted to stick it out as a senior. And then there really wasn't even much of a spring season for him in California. So 
I think those were 15 practices he certainly could have benefited from, but then he doesn't get here until the summer. And then fall camp starts. And obviously, as we know, just a few weeks in, you don't really have much of an opportunity to, to showcase your talent because they're getting ready for a game. He was the scout team quarterback. So to your point, he hasn't even been here for a year. And I think there's a lot of talent, but and a lot of upside. It's just being more consistent in how he delivers his passes. Yeah. Wasted. Wasted. <laughs> um, so we've, we, we've mentioned the passing game, but I think on the other side, there was also some really good plays from the defensive backs. And again, I, I don't know if he's ever going to play, but it feels like, and I said this last spring, it feels like every time the ball is in the air and Almond Williams is around it, he's got his hands on it for the most part. Now he has been on the bad end of some plays as well, uh, specifically thinking about the Keontas Lewis touchdown that everyone saw at the beginning of the of of spring, but gets his hands on balls all the time. Like I, I, I don't know if I've ever seen a guy in practice get his hands on balls and, and intercept balls as much as him. And I, well, again, he's, he's not going to play this year, Yeah, but yeah. if, but, but, but it, it happens all the time. I think the thing is you just notice it so much because he's letting everybody know on the field that he made the play. He is, That's he is, he is the loudest. If you are an offensive guy, he is the most obnoxious. It is not a surprise that there have been a couple offensive players who have been less than thrilled with, with his chirping, but that's his game. That that's been kind of, his MO since he got here and he has been a playmaker. I don't think he's going to be a contributor defensively this no. season. I mean, I'll say you never know. I, there are a lot of other guys I've been really impressed with specifically some of the transfers that they brought in. Um, I think if, for as much as they lost, like I have n- almost no concerns about that cornerback group because of who they brought in. I think they've got a really strong top group and it's going to be hard to knock them off, even though obviously Hank Poteet and Jim Leonard do rotate and play a number of different guys. I want to get back to that in a second. Uh, sure. Because it's an overall defensive uh, question that I kind of put myself in the hot seat on another program about, but I want, <laughs> okay. and I, want to, I want to get your take on it. But before we do that, there was a sequence last Saturday and UW put out the video of the sequence. Mm-hmm. They put it in backwards order, but uh, they put it out. The touchdown to Chimray and then the interception by Justin Clark. I thought that that was a great illustration of a guy getting beat, learning, and coming back and making the play the next time he had an opportunity. Uh, and you're, you spoke about the transfers. So the, this was a red zone period. It was obviously they ran a slot fade to Chimray, and they hooked up, and Chimray celebrated. And uh, in Justin Clark's face, face, they came back to it a few, a few periods later, and this time Justin Clark picked it off and he was in Jim Ray's face and there's been battles like that, but I thought that that was a great indication of like what spring is about. It's about, you know, learning and then going out and making the play the next time around. That was probably as fired up as I've seen Paul Chris, the entire spring, he went over to Justin and he gave him a high five. And, and Chris was asked about that. He talks to reporters during the spring on Saturdays uh, after practices. He said he, like the throw didn't bother him at all. The fact that Graham put it up there and it was intercepted, it was a guy going out there and making a play and just being better than the offensive player. And it does create competition. I've been tremendously impressed with Clark. He pretty clearly to me uh, has emerged as their top nickel corner, um, which they needed to figure out, obviously with Dean Ingram moving on Um, a seventh year guy who spent his last six years at Toledo who totally understands Hank Poteet's coaching because he spent four years with him at Toledo. That's where Poteet was before. 
just exactly what you want when you're looking for someone in the transfer portal who's experienced, who can learn from his mistakes, and who can be a consistent guy for them back there. Yeah, so I agree. I think he ends up, you know, if he's healthy, I think he may end up being their their number one slot. Do they yep. have their top corners? Because I think we've <laughs> I think they've kind of settled into it now. Jay Shaw missed practice on Thursday, so it was a little bit different. But mm-hmm. Jay Shaw, Alexander Smith, and then obviously Justin Clark in the slot. Are, are those the ones? And we, I thought earlier in this, earlier in the spring, we kind of said, I think that's going to be the group, or at least on the outside, that's I think that's going to be the group. Certainly, I think that now for sure. If all, if all of them are healthy, I'm pretty comfortable saying that. That has been pretty consistently the top group, as you mentioned, Shaw. Didn't practice on Thursday, was out there in street clothes. But that is the top group. I think Cedric Dort um, has shown he can be versatile, but primarily he's been with the second group. There's some talent there, even in the second group. Ricardo Hallman certainly can push and did get some one reps with, uh, with Shaw out. But to me, I think that's your top three. And Alexander Smith, he's done a really great job. Would have been very easy, and I, I think we may have touched on this last week, but to just be pissed off all the time because you're bringing in three transfer corners with one year left who you're going to play. Well, he's been the leader of that group. And Poteet even said he has considered Alex to be a starter. Um, but I also think that he's somebody who could play safety in a pinch too. He's very versatile and he's, a, he's shown and he's, he can play in a slot. He can kind of do it all. So, I mean, I won't be surprised if he winds up playing the most snaps of all the corners because of how versatile he is. And that's that's what I was going to add the, the the safety part of it. He earlier in camp saw some time back there. I haven't seen it a ton the last few practices. Mm-hmm. It's been some other guys, Avion Jones working at both spots, but also uh, a new face back there, Al Ashford, got yeah. some time there in practice. I want to say it was Tuesday, and he uh, excuse me Thursday. So they they have some different players back there that they could potentially use behind if, if Travion Blaylock isn't able to play right away or maybe they just need another guy back there if, if they end up not wanting to think uh, to play Austin Brown as a true freshman maybe you throw one of the corners back there I don't know we'll, we'll see the other spot that was interesting uh this week was a change to the inside linebacker group and my question here is and I don't don't have an answer maybe we'll have an answer when we get to talk to Jim Leonard next week uh was the change just to change stuff up or was it an actual change to the depth chart because Bill Sheridan said that they are the depth chart was strictly based on plays from last year who had played the most plays and that's how they just broke it down. And so that meant Tatum grass and Wuma Jong Meta were the starters for the first few weeks of camp. And then on Tuesday, Jordan Turner was with the number one defense along with Tate grass and, and Muma was down the thing. Do you think it was just a let's change things up or do you think it was an actual move of Jordan Turner into the starting lineup? Again, I'm, Speaking for you, uh, but just because we've talked about this a lot and talked about it on the show, I think we both thought sort of a matter of time until Turner elevated yes. himself because of what he did. Granted, it was only 24 snaps, but he was always around the ball. He made a ton of plays. He's physical. I think he's going to wind up being one of the starters. And I, it's hard to know. It's hard to get inside the minds of the coaches without specifically asking them, but it just sort of feels like. He's gradually working himself into that top group, and it's not a coincidence. Yeah. Okay. All right. That, fair enough. I, again, I, I think he is. Yeah. I mean, I think he is definitely going to be with the ones. I just don't know if it was an actual move into the ones, and it's like him and Tate Grass are the number one uh, inside linebackers, or if it was something else. So they were just changing up 
the pairings, and that's just the one. That's just the way it happened. But I think Jordan Turner is going to be a star. I, I've I've said that in a variety of places, and I certainly believe that to be the case. Whether it's this year or no, it's going to be this year. I have no no. It's going to be this year. Um, all right. So this was a question that I got. I was I was asked to give a big big spring takeaway uh, after the first few weeks of spring on a new show that we have on the zone. It's called Kenny and Heil for myself and Ben Kenny. It's Badgers for an hour every Thursday from six to seven on the zone, uh, 1670 AM, 96.7 FM. You can also listen to the podcast as well. So you can listen to that, but I was, I was asked and I was trying to come up with the best. And my idea was my my initial one was about the five inch outside linebackers was, I think they have an opportunity. They have five guys that could potentially start at outside linebacker. And then as I thought about it more, I was thinking about the defense in general, how good they were last year, right? Like they were the number one ranked defense in the country. They had the best rushing defense in school history and how good they were. And then I went, went position by position in my head and I'm like, and what I've seen this spring, I think that they can be as good this year as they were last year. Am I crazy? Can they, can they, reach, say, can they reach that level? I'm going to say you are crazy. Okay. Uh, Cool. Mostly because I, I look at it from where where did this team stack up nationally? I mean, they were number one. They were number in the top four in all four major statistical categories. They were number one in the country in total defense. So if you're saying they're going to be as good, then you're you're telling me you believe they're number one in the country in total defense at the end of this year. I mean, no, that's essentially no. how I look at it. Yeah, no, that, that's not. I guess what I, that's not necessarily what I meant. I meant when you look at them. Position by position, they may not statistically meet that, but I think that they have a chance to be to, to play at a, at a at a similar level. Go position by position. They're better along the defensive line, in my opinion, than they were last year or will be. Obviously, Matt Henningsen's a loss and Bryson Williams is a loss, but I think that the younger guys, Rose Johnson, James Thompson Jr., Isaiah Mullins, you know, Keanu Benton, they're going to be a better defensive line this year than they were last year. Outside linebackers, better than last year. Cornerbacks have a chance to be right there as the group uh, was last year. I, I don't know. Again, you can disagree with me after I get through this stuff, but sure. s- safety, they have a chance to be as good as they were last year. Now, Scott Nelson and Kyle, Colin Wilder had, had very good seasons, but I think with John Torchio and a, and a very, very talented Hunter Wooler, and we'll see where Travion Blaylock comes back, I think that they can be as good as they were at safety last year. The only spot that they're not going to be better uh, at the same level or better than is that inside linebacker. And obviously those two guys were fantastic and it's going to be extremely hard to replace their production, though I think they're going to get more from the outside. That's where I'm coming from when I say this. I think that they have better units in every spot, same or better units at every spot except for inside linebacker. It's a tough, this is a tough one for me. I Ultimately, I think this is a top 15 defense in the country. Um, there is a lot of talent. Again, as long as Jim Leonard's there, um, they're going to be good. I think the question is, is, does this potential translate into productivity? Because there's certainly more depth and more talented outside linebacker. Will you get more out of whoever you put out there than you did from Noah Burks? Uh, probably. Will you get more at defensive end than you did from Matt Henningsen? I don't know. Um, like Rodas Johnson, James Thompson Jr., those guys are going to be key pieces. I don't know if I would necessarily say it's going to be better. I mean, Keanu Benton certainly should be better. Isaiah Mullins should be better. 
but will that third guy be better than what Matt Henningsen gave you? Or will that, you know, CJ gets, if he's the starter going to be better than, than what Burks gave you? Because I don't know, again, lots of talent and depth outside linebacker, but what does it look like if you're, if you're the third guy or if you're the fourth guy coming off the bench, how many snaps are you actually getting? So I think I've got some questions about those two position groups in particular, but for as, as much as Fayon and Caesar did at cornerback, I think, I think it can be just as good at corner and with safety. If the top guys are healthy, I think they can be just as good. And that's why overall, I think it's a top 15 defense, but man, with the inside linebacker spot, that was legitimately the best inside linebacker tandem in the country. Um, and yeah, they're going to get guys who are going to make a lot of tackles, but to impact the game the way that those two did, that's tough. So I think there's going to be a bit of a drop-off. But having said that, I still think it's a top 15 defense in the country. Yeah, we'll see how it plays out. Again, I could be crazy. I could be uh, off my rocker. But I kind of feel like there is an opportunity for them to be as good. We'll see. Uh, a lot of time left. And the thing about what made last year's defense great was the ability to stop the run. And it, for, it helped everything else. And if they, I don't know if they're going to be able to stop the run nearly as well as they did last year. Um, and if they can't, then it's, then, then it's, things become a little more difficult. But I do think that they're going to get after the passer from the outside better than they did last year. We'll see. Again, it's got a lot of time to discuss it, right? And uh, we will continue to do so. We will be back uh, next Friday as they wrap up spring ball. We'll uh, see the final few practices and then have our overarching uh, thoughts on what exactly uh, the questions still remain for them coming out of spring. Jesse, thank you very much. Thanks, Zach. All right, there he is. Jesse Temple from The Athletic. You've been listening to The Camp.